word this evening, Romans chapter number 4. Kelly is feeling a little better, thank you for the several who have asked. She is feeling a little better, but uh, still not quite where she felt well enough to come or good enough to uh, leave the house for any length of time as uh, she's still dealing with some sort of stomach bug, but uh, she is doing a little better, uh, but lunch did not settle as well as uh, she had hoped for, so uh, she decided it would be best if she uh, stayed home tonight, but thank you for your, your prayers for her, and I know I still sound like I'm preaching in a tunnel, uh, but I do feel a lot better, uh, even uh, better than I did this morning, and uh, I don't know, I know this is a, an, an odd thing, but for a, a preacher, pre- preaching does a lot of good for, for preachers. I, Pastor Arrowwood and I used to talk about uh, this sometimes, and uh, in I don't know, again, how to explain it, but preaching is good for the soul, for, for a pastor, for a preacher, and uh, it also has health benefits, I guess, because I feel a lot better <laughs> this, this evening than I even did this morning. Uh, I felt like I was preaching in a fog uh, this morning, but thankful for God's grace, because um, I felt like I was in a tunnel and there was fog at the end of the tunnel, um, but uh, I uh, didn't want to uh, step away from the pulpit this morning, and I know I, I sounded uh, kind of nasally. But uh, thankfully, uh, I feel uh, even better this evening. So appreciate your your prayers and your concerns there as well. Tonight, we're going to look at Romans chapter number four. And I don't want to take too long because I know we're going to observe the Lord's table. And we have a couple of testimonies. And uh, I don't want uh, to keep us here all night, of course. Uh, But this is such a rich passage. As we focus upon the cross of Christ, upon salvation, as we observe the Lord's table... Uh, This passage, uh, the Lord led me to uh, speak on Abraham, and maybe you're going through the the Bible in a year, maybe you're following the reading plan that uh, we made available, or maybe some other one, but just reading again through the the life of Abraham, and uh, a man of faith, and the way in which God worked in his life, and uh, how he got saved, and trusted God. Was he a perfect man? By, by no means. He had failure in his life. But what a testimony of faith. And uh, as I was reading through uh, this recently, uh, I couldn't help but come back to it as we focus upon the cross of Christ and salvation tonight. So three important facts about Abraham's salvation that we will see from this passage this evening. First of all, we see that Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. Uh, I know that this is uh, an, an obvious thing. It's, it's something that uh, we uh, preach on and teach on on a regular basis here. And we are thankful for a church whose doctrinal statement, and for many years now, and uh, some of you uh, have faithfully attended churches of like faith and practice through the years, where salvation is clearly taught and preached by faith alone in Christ alone. Christ plus nothing, minus nothing. And I have heard so many testimonies through the years of people who have gone to a church that had a lot of good things going on. Friendly people, they even would open up the Bible from time to time or on a regular basis and preach from the Bible, and there would be some decent messages, decent sermons, there would be a lot of good people. But I've heard so many testimonies through the years of people who grew up in churches where they never heard the true gospel message. 
they never truly heard from the pulpit of their church how to truly be born again. And people who have grown up in churches then later in their, in their, their years, uh, maybe in their 20s or 30s or, or, or maybe sometimes years later, they uh, meet a true Christian or they go, go to a church that truly preaches the gospel and, and all of a sudden the, uh, the light comes on, so to speak, and of course the, the, the light of the gospel shines on their hearts and they realize that for all these years, even attending a Bible-preaching church, they never heard the gospel. They never heard salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. Or maybe there are some of you who got saved out of a false religion, a religion that taught salvation by works, adding baptism or a mutual kind of justification or hoping that our good will outweigh our bad. But it's so clear in this passage as Paul is writing, and he spends 11 chapters on doctrine, and this is just one of the the 11, and he makes it extremely clear that Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. Paul calls two Old Testament witnesses to prove this doctrine. First of all, Abraham. In a little bit of background with Abraham, and we know uh, this story, he defeated the kings in chapter 14 of, of Genesis. We know that God appeared to him and assured him that He was his shield and exceeding great reward, Genesis 15 and verse number 1. We know that Abraham was promised an heir, a son, Isaac. Abraham wanted most was this son, this heir, as part of the fulfillment of God's promise that the nations of the earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And we know that was a messianic prophecy, that seed that will bless the entire earth is Jesus Christ. And Abraham is looking ahead to the cross of Christ as he trusts Christ, as he trusts God for his salvation. God told him as he gave him the Abrahamic covenant, he told him to look to the stars and said, so shall thy seed be. And I remember, and I know growing up in for the most part, growing up in Indianapolis, I, I did not see a lot of stars. I did uh, enjoy looking out at the, the night sky from time to time. I did see a really cool uh, meteorite shower uh, when I was maybe in junior high, uh, up late one night, and some, some friends, we went out, and it was, it was really, really cool to, to see that. But I, I tell you, the, the most beautiful night sky I have ever seen was when I was in Kenya, and we were going up country, uh, into the bush area, and we stayed at this little remote <laughs> village uh, with, again, a hotel that you probably wouldn't even describe as a hotel by American standards, but we stayed in this little hotel, and we went out uh, at night, and the missionary and I, we looked out, and this is right around the equator, and I couldn't believe, I'd never seen so many stars in my life. I just, I probably stood there with my jaw, <laughs> my mouth wide open, my jaw hitting the ground, and I think he, the missionary even made a little comment, have you never seen this many stars before? I was like, no, sir, I grew up in the city, you know, and I'm not used to seeing it. It was, it was incredible. And I know uh, maybe you've been to planetarium uh, showings. I remember going to one years ago at Butler University and been to a couple through the years. Creation Museum has a really good planetarium. Incredible. And then as this James Webb telescope is, is going out, uh, whatever the exact title of that is, as it goes out, and it sends back, beams back pictures of the galaxies. 
incredible the number of stars that God created. And God took Abraham out and told him, look at the stars. And he said, so shall thy seed be. And then we read in Romans 4 and verse number 3. And of course, this is a reference back to Genesis and the Abrahamic covenant. And we see the quote there, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Here is Abraham saved by faith, looking again ahead to the Messiah, looking ahead to God's redemption plan, his plan of sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins, who would rise again and ascend up into glory. And Abraham, by faith, he believed God and he was justified. It was counted unto him for righteousness. He was given, he was imputed, imputed to him was the righteousness of Christ based upon his faith. He was justified by faith alone in Christ alone. He believed God. That Hebrew word there, believed, uh, in the uh, original language going back to the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word here that means amen. It means so be it. It means truly. It was, it was counted unto him. It was declared, so be it, truly. This is the promise of God that all who put their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation are justified, are declared not guilty. You may have heard the definition of justification as being just as if I never sinned. Maybe that some, sometimes helps us remember the definition of that word justification. But it's God declaring us not guilty. It's the imputation of the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. We are sinners, obviously. We have failed. It's not our righteousness. Philippians chapter number 3, Paul would say, Not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God by faith, even faith in Jesus Christ. And, of course, uh, we know that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And we see that word counted there, and it's a banking term to put on one's account, and the righteousness of Christ is applied to our accounts. And, of course, we think of Second Corinthians chapter 5, where we read uh, that it, he became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we are debtors, owing a debt that we cannot possibly pay. We can't work off the debt. And I understand now that because of inflation and people not wanting to adjust their spending habits, that the average U.S. household now owes in credit card debt $7,500 on average. And then with interest rates now being up in the 19 and 20 percents, there's talk now of people not being able to pay off their credit cards for, I forget what the number was, for years. And that's on top of mortgages and car payments and whatever else. It's hard to believe the indebtedness. Our sin brought a debt that we couldn't work off. But as we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, we're justified 
and his righteousness is credited to our account. So we look down, and we see also here uh, this word wages. And this word wages is a word that has nothing to do with God's grace, but rather with a debt that is due. And again, this speaks to the fact that we have, as sinners, outside of the grace of God, we have this debt that we could not pay, that we could not work off. And that wage, as we think of in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we evangelize, as we witness, sometimes we'll have to describe, we'll have to explain wages. If we use the Romans road or we use that verse, the wages of sin is death. We get wages, we get a salary, we get a paycheck, and that is something that we are, are paid with, we are, are, are salaried with those wages. But the wages of sin, the payment, the debt for our sin, is death. There is an eternal separation from God. Only Jesus Christ, Christ and Christ alone, could save us from that sin, deliver us from that debt, make that payment that propitiates God, satisfies the wrath of God, Jesus Christ by his life fulfilling all righteousness that we couldn't possibly do, again, that righteousness is then credited to our accounts. So the point is, that in verse number four, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So we can't work off, if we could work off this debt that we owe, if we could somehow work off to pay the wages of sin, then he says it would not be of grace, verse number four. It would be of debt. It would be our righteousness. It would be our doing. Then why would there even be a talk of grace? Why would there even be any necessity of justification? If we could work it off, if we could pay the debt ourselves, then what would be the need for grace, for mercy? It wouldn't even be grace. There would be no need for justification. Now, I know that in the Catholic system, the Roman Catholic system, again, there's a mutual justification. There's a justification by works and a justification by faith. And Jesus Christ can take us so far, but then we have to do the rest, or we can go so far, and then Jesus Christ pulls us across the finish line, however uh, it's described. And there, there was, a, again, I, I just, one of the conservative... Uh, political commentators that I listen to on uh, this, this one podcast that I, I like to listen to for political news, for conservative news. He's a very religious man, but he's very Catholic. He's a very conservative, strict Catholic. And he came right out again as he was answering a question. And he said, go to the priest, confess to the priest, do the sacraments. And he said, Jesus Christ has done for you what he can do and basically said you have to do the rest and I'm practically yelling at my phone as I'm listening to this podcast that's no he's telling a lie don't believe him 
Come to Christ. Go to Christ and Christ alone. This is not a mutual, mutual justification thing. God did not say to Abraham, okay, you've, you've come out of Ur, you have built altars, you have taken Isaac. He didn't, he didn't list all the things that Abraham had done that were good and said, okay, Abraham, because you've done all these good things, you are now justified. Is that what he did? No, he said, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And then in verse number five, notice it's obvious that it's the ungodly that are justified upon their faith. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not, oh, we worked really hard and we got really godly. We got as godly as we could. And we made ourselves so worthy and we, we, we kind of did enough out there to get God's attention that God said, wow, you know what? There, there's, that, there's that Brent Floyd. And you know what? He, he's been a pretty good guy. Yeah, he's obeyed. Yeah, he's had a few spankings. Well, yeah, maybe more than a few. Yeah, he's, you know, he's not gotten a lot of trouble at school. He, he's getting A's and B's and he's not been to the principal's office, at least not yet. You know, he's, he's a pretty good guy. Paul tried it in, in, in his own works. He talked about it in Philippians 3. Hebrew of the Hebrews, Benjamite. He's listing all of his credentials. And is that how God went to Abraham? Is that how God looks at us? And, and he sees, yeah, you know what? You, you, you've worked really hard, and, and you know what? You, you've gotten my attention because you've been such a good person. So now I think I'll save you. Because I think you've measured up just enough that I, I, I think now I can send my son or I can reach down and I can, I can pull you up off, you know, with your, your bootstraps and, and, and pull you into, in, into heaven. I can, I can save you because you've done enough good deeds that then I'll, I'll do the rest because you've made yourself worthy. Is that what the gospel teaches? Is that what the, the Bible teaches? Is that what Romans 4 is saying? No. To him that worketh not... Very obviously clear to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth who? The ungodly. Who believes, who repents, whose faith is counted for righteousness. But as many as received him, to them gives he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So then we see not only was Abraham justified by faith and not by works, not only did Paul call Abraham as a witness, we're going to have to skip over for sake of time, the other witness that he calls, David, who's quoted in verses 7 and 8, that's Psalm 32, but for sake of time, we'll have to just quickly go uh, on to the next point. But there's Abraham, and then the second witness to prove this doctrine that Paul mentions is David, and again, the quote is in verses 7 and 8, and that's a quote from Psalm 32. But the second important fact about Abraham's salvation, only was he justified by faith and not by works, but he was justified by grace and not by the law. Oh, the Jews, they gloried in their righteousness apart, excuse me, they glorified in their righteousness before God because of their circumcision, because of their obedience. They saw themselves as Abraham's seed, Moses' seed. They would even make reference to, to Moses and to the prophets in the Gospels as Jesus would preach and as Jesus would 
expose the hypocrisy and the sin of the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, as we've often looked at in John? And what would they sometimes appeal to? Well, we're Abraham's seed. Moses brought the bread from heaven. They saw themselves as the righteous people. The Jews are up here. We're the ones who received the law. We're the ones who God has specially chosen. So we're just automatically going to enter into heaven and we're, we're, we're good people. They saw their circumcision, the covenants to David, to Abraham. They saw their obedience as reasons for them being saved. Verse number nine. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. But we have to take note of the fact that Abraham was declared righteous by God before his circumcision. Again, they gloried in that sign of the covenant, circumcision. They thought that they were obedient, but I look back at the history of Israel and I see a lot of disobedience. I see a lot of sin. I see complaining in the wilderness. I see idolatry. I see even the, uh, the, the, the great prophets, the great saints uh, of the Old Testament, Jews, Israels, who got godly men, godly women in many cases, but still having their areas of sin and disobedience. So the Jews were even overlooking, they were, they were self-righteous. And again, as Jesus had to deal with the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they were seeing their circumcision. They were seeing what they thought was this exemplary obedience as their salvation instead of seeing themselves as sinners and seeing themselves as Abraham had to see himself as a sinner who must believe God, who must come to God by faith. And the fact that Abraham was declared righteous by God before his circumcision and then in verse number 11, we see even the reason circumcision was given. It was given as a sign. It was given as a seal there in verse number 11. And then we have to make a couple of spiritual applications. Believers today experience spiritual circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of the putting away of the flesh. And I remember a, uh, a gentleman who I talked to who argued with me one time from Colossians 2. He was a reformed, uh, he, he was in a reformed church, and he tried to argue with me that Colossians 2 teaches that circumcision, excuse me, that baby baptism is the replacement for circumcision is now the sign of the new covenant. And I said, wait a second here. I said, Colossians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 is referring to a spiritual circumcision, the putting away of the flesh, that we are spiritually Abraham's seed. Even if we're not a Jew, we're spiritually Abraham's seed by putting our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. I don't see baby baptism in Colossians 2. And I don't see this whole sign of the covenant being replaced with baby baptism for circumcision. And we didn't agree on the whole reformed argument. And I said, I'm a dispensational pre-trib, pre-millennial Baptist, and that's the way I'm going to stay. I'm a Baptist by conviction. Anyway, how did I get there? Believers today are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We looked at that uh, this morning in Ephesians 1. Not only uh, is uh, 
not only are believers uh, today experiencing a spiritual circumcision through Christ, through repentance and, and faith, but we're also sealed with the Holy Spirit, who's that earnest, that down payment, who seals us, as we talked about this morning in this morning's message. And then there's another reminder in verses 13 through 17 that Abraham was justified before the law was given. So how could circumcision save? How could the law save if Abraham believed God before circumcision and before the law? Because remember, in Galatians, as we get into the New Testament, and we get into some of the false teachers that were coming out, even Hebrews deals with this, There were false teachers saying you have to keep the law in order to be saved or in order to stay saved. And then even saying the Gentiles, in order to truly be saved, they have to keep the law. And Paul is again reminding us that circumcision and the law were given after Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And then thirdly, In these three important facts about Abraham's salvation, we see he was justified by God's power, not human effort. And I know I'm rushing through this, but in verses 18 and 19, this promise seemed impossible. What promise? Well, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. They were beyond childbearing age. Sarah was beyond childbearing age. In in human thinking, from a human perspective, they were infertile. There was no way at their age that they could have children. But again, God delights in overruling. And he delights in doing the miraculous and uh, showing himself mighty showing himself strong. And Sarah was able to have a child in her age when it appeared, humanly speaking, that her womb was dead, that in his own body there was a deadness, there was an infertility. But she was about 100 years old. Can you imagine ladies being 100 years old and bearing a child? Now, I know they lived a lot longer back then, but still, 100 years old? Uh, I don't even know what the, the record is, the modern record is, uh, for having a child. I don't know, I'm assuming it's, after the age of 50, I don't, I don't know what the Guinness World Record is or whatever, but 100 years of age, even for a longer lifespan, that was considered beyond childbearing years. But it showed again that God was able. The promise seemed impossible from human perspective, but then we also see that Abraham was persuaded that God would keep his promise. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I remember Dr. Jim Berg, I was in my first year of grad school, and I was struggling with the will of God. I was not attached, okay? I had no prospects. A lot of my friends had either gotten married, graduated. I was entering my second year of grad school and seminary, and I was struggling with what God would have me to do, and God had laid upon my heart the possibility of going back to Kenya on a short-term mission trip. I had been on a short-term mission trip as a part of a mission team from Bob Jones a couple years before, and I remember sitting and listening to Dr. Jim Berg preach two messages from this passage, and it was like I was the only one in the amphitorium. <laughs> I mean, 
I felt like Dr. Berg was just sitting there and he was just preaching to me. It was like I was sitting across from his desk and he just wailed on me for 45 minutes for two Sundays in a row. And the second Sunday, he got up and he said, I was only planning on preaching one message from this passage, but then the person that was supposed to be preaching today uh, had to call off, change the schedule, got sick or something, so I have the opportunity to get some more hay out of the trough and bring it down to, or hay out of the, the barn and bring it down to the trough. And I was like, you, I can't, Lord, how, how can you do this to me? I'm already, I'm already all beat up from last week. But you know what? God was so working. And again, I know God was doing a multiplicity of things, but I felt like for two Sundays, he was dealing with me. Because I was in consternation. I was in anxiety. God, what am I doing? I'm going to be uh, finishing up my, my seminary degree. I'm, uh, I'm thinking about Kenya. I'm thinking about short-term mission trip. So many things that God was doing. And God used these verses in my life in uh, 1999, 1998, to year 2000, somewhere around there. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And I remember how God used that in my life and God has brought me back to that passage so many times. We need that kind of faith, don't we? That we don't stagger at the promises of God. Oh, I tell you, God sometimes calls us to do the hard things, doesn't he? But his grace is sufficient he is able to keep what he has promised. And, his, and if he has called you to do it, will he not give you the grace and the strength to perform it? Again, God has reminded me of that so many times. When Pastor Arrowwood asked me to be the school principal, I said, God, what are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. My dad was, was, was dying. I was first year as a school principal I was overwhelmed, my, my family was very young, and I thought, Lord, I'm in October of the year 2008, and I'm thinking, how in the world am I ever going to survive this? And God was just so working in my life, and yeah, did I have to go down to Pastor Arrowwood's office a few times, and <laughs> we had to pray and get on our knees and talk and work through things? Yes, that I had to go home, and, and Kelly and I had to talk and pray, and Emily was struggling with, uh, you know, well, not that time it was, um, it was three boys and Josiah was on the way. That's what it was in 2008. Josiah was on the way and I already had three kids and now I'm a school principal. I'm like, what am I going to do? I got a fourth child on the way. How am I going to do this? So many things I was overwhelmed with. And I felt like I was back in 1998, 1999, whatever it was. And I was sitting there in grad school and God kept bringing this truth back. Don't stagger in unbelief. If he's called you to do it, Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. Don't get your eyes off of me. Keep your eyes on the Lord, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Three important facts about Abraham, about his salvation. He was justified by faith and not by works. He was justified by grace and not the law. And he was justified by God's power, not human effort. May we... Uh, live by those principles and apply them as we go about our lives, even this week. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you for your great salvation. Lord, we're so undeserving. We're ungodly. 
Lord, you loved us when we did not love you. And we thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that when we repent of our sins, you promise that if we call upon you, you will save us. Lord, we thank you for that. And so many who give testimony to that tonight, and we'll even hear some more testimonies tonight uh, regarding how you have brought your own uh, to saving faith. Lord, we pray that you will help us, Lord, to always be grateful and, Lord, to, with gratitude and with hearts, Lord, of, of love and filled, Lord, with uh, your goodness, Lord, may we once again reflect upon your great salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Abraham and for the truths that we have learned tonight. pray that you'll bless as we sing and as we observe the Lord's table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.